Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. The guy sitting across from me, he is Jonathan Strickland, a senior writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there. So uh, today we wanted to talk a little bit about solid state drives and what makes them work and how they are different from the traditional forms of storage media that we are used to in the world of computers. Now, some of you out there may be used to solid-state drives, and so you're thinking, how are solid-state drives different from other solid-state drives? That's not what I mean. I mean those of us who have used uh, hard disks that use magnetic storage in some form. And uh, there are a lot of differences, mainly mechanical, physical differences, mm -hmm. because when you're talking about a hard disk, like a, a traditional hard, hard disk drive, you're talking about a device that has moving parts and um, it has platters that are that have information stored on them magnetically, use magnetic fields to change uh, informations into zeros and ones, those bits that we use to create the data that computers can understand. And you have a 
physical device that reads that information off of the platters. The platters have to spin for this to happen. Uh, turns out those devices, uh, they, they take up, uh, they take a lot of time to pull that information up, relatively speaking. Right. When now, I say a lot of time, we're talking milliseconds, but still. Yeah, there are, uh, when you think about getting information into and out of, uh, your computers, what, basically what you're doing right now. There, there are several different ways it does that. There's, uh, some information that is, uh, available for, you know, ready retrieval. Right. Um, you know, in the cache, uh, that's built in. You have level one, level two cache. Uh, you may not have necessarily known what that was. I didn't, uh, you know, and, it's sort of uh it's sort of intuitive when you think about it it keeps it uh this information in this cache uh on hand yeah so uh stuff that you're doing uh right now is is kept right there close by in a very fast um uh in a very fast retrieval system so right. that it can pull it back at a at, at a nanosecond's notice right in fact if we if we go it's easy to imagine this if we think of the cpu first like just look at the central processing unit yeah. of your computer and think of that as this is the place where operations are executed upon data right mm-hmm. yeah it pulls data in it executes an operation on it it gets a result that's the purpose of the cpu yeah now a cpu has something called registers. Yes. Registers are where the CPU can hold data, but registers hold a very small amount of data, comparatively speaking. Right. Usually just a few hundred bytes. Uh, you can build larger registers and you can build more registers for your CPU, but that tends to be pretty expensive. Now, the benefit of having information in registers on the CPU is that you have next to no time at all between when you pull the information and when you can execute uh, an operation upon that information. Mm -hmm. So that means that we say that the latency for the information within a CPU's registers is zero. Latency is that time between when you retrieve information and when you can – or when you send a request for information and when you actually retrieve it. Yes. So there's no latency when you're talking about a a, the CPU's registers. However – only a few hundred bytes are exist within those registers. It's not a lot of data. Now, you were talking about the caches. The yeah. level one cache is kind of the information that the CPU uses frequently. It's going to – in whatever application you happen to be in at that time. Right. right. So this is information that the CPU is having to go to again and again, and it needs it to be as close as possible so that it – keeps that latency down mm-hmm. because, of course, if you have to go further out for your information, it's going to take longer for it to get back. So at a level one cache, you're talking about around 32 kilobytes of data per CPU core if you're running an Ivy Bridge processor, an i7 core Ivy Bridge processor from Intel. Mm-hmm. So that's 32 kilobytes per uh, uh, uh core and as far as that level one cache goes. And that takes a nanosecond to pull that data up. Yep. So that's yep. one billionth of a second. Yep. And uh you know, just uh on the just to comment on the Ivy Bridge uh notation, the the caches themselves um you know, they exist on all these different processors. That's right. just that figure just was referencing. Spe- yeah, just so, specific to the Ivy Bridge, yeah. but other processors do have this as well. Yes, yes. Just yeah. in case there was any confusion. And and you, then you could have a level two cache, mm-hmm. which is slightly further out, 
you know, think of, think of it like concentric circles, right? Yeah. So the level two cache is a concentric circle further out from the CPU. It can hold a little more data. It's a little slower to pull that information up. It's a few nanoseconds. Mm-hmm. Then it may even have a level three cache. Not all CPUs do, but many do. And then that is even larger and holds even more data and takes even longer, again, in relative terms, right. to get that data to the CPU. And beyond that, that's when you go to your computer's actual memory. Because all the stuff we've been talking about right now is all located on the CPU die itself. So it's all part of that that chip. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not separate. It's not another element that's on the motherboard. This is all part of the CPU. Yeah. If you, if you pull your hard drive out of the computer, toss it on the floor, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, and, uh, and you, you pull the, the RAM chips out of your computer and toss them on the floor. Don't do that either. Um, then, uh, I'm glad you did that because I, I was thinking it. Yeah. And it was just funny that you said it. Um, then the, the, uh, the registry and the caches, will still be there on the computer. Now, I won't be able to do a whole lot with them, but right. still. Um, so, you know, that just to illustrate that. So, yes, the next part, uh, we'll, we'll pick uh, this stuff gently back up off the floor and put it inside. The RAM is is essentially the next ring out, yes. if you will, from the caches, however many that you happen to have on your CPU. Right, and these, these memory chips have mm-hmm. been optimized so that the latency is really, really low. However... They are not located on the CPU. No. They are connected by circuits, by, by pathways to the CPU. Mm-hmm. Well, because they are not located on the CPU and because that information does have to actually travel a physical distance, that increases the latency time. So when your CPU has to pull information out and that information is not in the cache for the CPU, it has to, it, but it resides within the memory of your computer, then it has to travel this pathway. And for the the request and retrieval, that can take between 40 and 80 nanoseconds. So we're still talking a fraction of a second. Yeah. I mean, this is th- these are, are times that you or I will not even be able to notice. Yeah, we can't. We, we have no ability to, <laughs> to register that using our senses. We would have to use incredibly sensitive uh, measurement devices in order to be able to tell the difference between uh, 40 and 80 nanoseconds to us there's no meaningful dis- difference at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but the uh but the thing about ram is when you shut off the computer all that information that's in ram disappears it's yeah it's volatile it's held, memory yeah it's it's held there by the electrical charge mm-hmm. um which is relative to the computer now your hard drive with the information stored we're, we're talking traditional with the information stored mag- magnetically on those platters um, it's able to save that stuff so that when you turn the computer back on, you can read the hard drive and get it back. Um, the thing is that uh, hard drives have different rotating speeds. Right. Um, typical to see a laptop with a 5,400 RPM uh, drive yeah. or, or even 7,200. Um, yeah, it's revolutions per minute just in case you aren't familiar with the term. Um, and you're more likely to see fa- those and faster in desktop computers. Right. Um, and the faster these rotate, in general, that means the faster the information can be pulled from the hard drive and sent to memory and then on to your CPU. Um, so if you if you took your hard drive, the thing is the, these systems are, are delicate. 
they're mm-hmm. they're uh, machined to very precise tolerances. That the head um, that reads the disc it looks like it looks like a record player for those yeah. of us who remember that. But the 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 head doesn't actually touch the disc. If no. it does, that's what they call. A bad thing. Yeah, it looks like it's in contact because exactly. it's so close to the platter. But in actuality, there is like a millimeter's difference between where it oh, is and, or even less. It, uh, it's amazing, and that's the thing. If you did take your, <laughs> if you did take your hard drive and throw it on the floor, it is very possible that the the uh, head uh, crashed into the platters. Yeah, which is. Very bad. Right. If you ever hear a, a clicking noise from your hard drive, that usually means that the platters are out of alignment or that the head is actually coming into contact. Something is hitting against something else within that physical, mechanical device, and that means that it is breaking down. That that also means you should uh, take that hard drive as soon as you can to a professional who can pull the data yes. off of the hard drive because the, the hard drive itself may or may not be – uh, uh, you may or may not be able to repair it. Right. So you definitely want to be able to retrieve that information. And the reason why we're even talking about this physical device is because you may have guessed, because we've got this mechanical element, it's going to take a lot longer to retrieve that information, comparatively speaking. We're talking about milliseconds now as opposed to nanoseconds. And in the world of computers, that's a long time. You know, yes. You're talking about these other fractions of a second, billions of a second, and then several or you know you go to a couple orders of magnitude up you realize this is this is a lot longer and mm-hmm. it's going to mean that uh, in general the operations that you start to use on your computer are going to take more and more time well there're only so many ways we can limit how much time it takes to retrieve information from a hard drive. Mm -hmm. Some of that includes creating better interfaces, which is when we went from um, the uh, the, to to SATA interfaces, SATA interfaces. Uh, That was actually a big improvement. It meant that we could move data much more quickly from the hard drive into RAM. But there's only so, so much faster you can go without really turning up that RPM speed to ludicrous amounts. And, of course, the faster it goes, the more likely you have uh, mechanical problems down the line. I mean, wear and tear and things of that nature. So um, you have the incredibly reliable hard drive. I mean, we've been using Mm -hmm. these things for years and years now. Um, They've gone up to very large sizes, uh, and and they're they're fairly cheap compared to uh, the the way they were just a a few years ago. But um, they have... They have their own problems. I mean, they're they're delicate. You can't necessarily take them everywhere, um, you know, and expect them to operate uh, uh, flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, as you pointed out, they're they're only so fast. So uh, flash memory in general is is you know an alternative, a, a very pleasant alternative. It works in our uh, in our smartphones and our music players. Um, it works in, in memory sticks. I mean, yeah, thumb drives, thumb drives, you know, kids of all ages now take them to school with them because, you know, that you can keep, um, <laughs> I remember one gigabyte hard drives that were huge. And now you can keep 16 gigs on a tiny thumb drive that cost, you know, a very tiny fraction of the price. Spies, but- spies use them to, uh, to put malware onto secure systems. Yes. Because both both Stuxnet, Stuxnet. and Flame yeah. appear to have been injected into target computers using uh, 
an an offsite sort of storage device. So some sort, well, offsite from the computer system. Uh, so something like a thumb drive. So you can imagine there's a guy who might have paid a little visit to an Iranian uh, uh, uranium enrichment plant and happened to have this thumb drive, plug it into a computer system and infected it that way. That's mm-hmm. just one potential way that scenario could have unfolded. But uh, yeah, I mean, these things have have become ubiquitous in all areas of computing. So why not make a hard drive out of the same sort of approach? Uh, because it means that you're using, instead of a mechanical system, you're using an integrated circuit mm-hmm. in order to store information. You no longer have to worry about spinning platters or reading heads or anything like that. You can really decrease the amount of time, the, that latency time, so that when you are pulling information from the hard drive, it's much closer to the speeds that you would see on the CPU die itself, or mm-hmm. at least in the computer's memory, as opposed to on a traditional hard drive. And, and before we get too far into this, I do want to say something about uh, what some of the sources of information we pulled from. Oh yeah, uh, We yeah. do have a great article on How Stuff Works about how flash drives work, and a lot of that mm-hmm. information applies to solid-state drives. Yeah, they're, they're not exactly the same, but they're, yeah, they're, they're kind the of, principles are... Are there. Yeah, they're close cousins because a lot of the things that go into what make flash drives work apply to solid state drives. But an excellent resource on the web is an Ars Technica series, uh, one of which – one of the articles in that series is called Solid State Revolution In-Depth on How SSDs Really Work by Lee Hutchinson. Yeah. And I can't say enough good things about this article. It really is a comprehensive approach to how – Solid state drives work, and there's a little uh, there's a little attitude in the article, so it makes it it's not it's not dry reading. No, well, ours ours Technica is is like that. Um, it's also just uh, just as a note, it's also very technical in spots too. Yes. So if uh, you know, it's it's a they their site is, takes a little bit different approach to uh, technology than than we do in a good way. Yes, it's, a, yes. it's at a different level. So it's, it's, it's definitely more serious. Yeah. techie heads. If you if you're already it's familiar, awesome yeah, if you're already familiar with um with computer architecture and data and that sort of thing, uh, it's an excellent resource. Otherwise, it may it may feel a little advanced for someone who is just curious about this but doesn't have any real background yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, however, it's, it's well articles. worth a read. Yeah. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road, into-the-wild, true-blue-real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry. 
the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. So getting back to solid state drives. So the idea of creating a solid state drive uh, is was really, really attractive. Mm -hmm. Because of that decreased latency. Yeah. Um, there were some challenges, of course, because solid state drives, they do not store information magnetically the way uh, traditional hard drives do. No. No, actually, it sort of reminds me of uh, electronic ink in mm -hmm. a way. Interesting. Uh, well, if you know something about electronic ink, you know that uh, the capsules, uh, white or black generally, uh, are stored in between a sandwich of uh, – uh, material that holds an, a positive or a negative charge. And that's how it reads a page. But once the page is there, it stays there. Oh, I see. So you're thinking of that as, for let's just say, for example, that the black parts of the screen are ones and the white parts are zeros. Yep. And they retain that yeah. even when the power is off. So they're non-volatile. Right. That means that when you remove the power source from this system – it keeps that information. Now, that, of course, is extremely important when it comes to computers because, like Chris was saying, RAM is volatile memory. Mm -hmm. If you lose that power, then that information goes away. There's no longer a charge to maintain the information that's stored in your computer's memory. Mm -hmm. You don't want that to happen to your hard drive because that means that every time you would turn off your computer or lose power, you would lose all the data stored there. You have to have non-volatile memory to keep storage uh, a possibility. Well, be nice. Yeah, because I mean, you know, the old, the old, old, old computers that that Chris and I worked on didn't have hard drives. No, they didn't. You had to store things on magnetic disks. Uh, if you turned your computer on, it just went to its initial state. The only thing that was stored on there was the operating system because it was written in read-only memory, which was non-volatile, but it was also unchangeable. You yeah. couldn't write to it. 
So that meant that, you know, if you wanted to write a program, you had to store it on a disk because if you tried to write it just on your computer, you didn't have a disk in there and you turned the computer off, all your work is gone. This is also why if you've ever worked on a computer and you've ever heard anyone say, save your work often, mm-hmm. that's why. When you save your work, it's being saved to your hard drive, not to your computer's memory. So if you're working on something and you haven't saved it in a while, it may only exist in your computer's memory. If power goes out, you may lose all that work, as I have done on multiple occasions. Oh, I was actually in my college's computer lab during a storm, and the the screams when yes. the power went out. There's were... nothing like working in oh. any sort of computer environment when the power goes out, and then you hear there's there's usually about a second and a half delay between the power going out and every single person making essentially the same noise, which sounds like this. Ah. <laughs> I, I leaned back I as I did that, so it. there was a little Doppler effect. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, uh, this this sort of of uh, non volatile memory means that that information is going to stay there even when you turn the power off. This is the exact same sort of stuff we find in our uh, MP3 players and mm-hmm. other mobile devices. That because again, if we didn't have that, then every time you turned off your MP3 player. You would lose your entire library of songs. You have to reload it the next time you turned it on. Right, right. Well, there is um, – to to complete my analogy Yes. Uh, along with the electronic ink thing, the flash memory also uses cells. Yes. Um, it stores information in, in cells and that cell is either a one or a zero. Right. Think of the cells like uh, a sheet of grid paper. Yes. And That's a good – yeah. You've got rows and you've got columns, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the rows of cells, if you took one row of cells, we would call that in, in solid-state drive terminology, that would be a page. Yes. So one row of the, the cells would be a page. And then you would have several rows of cells and several columns of cells that would form what is called a block. Mm-hmm. And this is really important because it comes down to the way information is written and erased in solid-state drives. Yeah, uh, It turns out that you cannot individually change the cells within that grid paper. For example, if you, if you had a sheet of grid paper in front of you, you could write a 1 or a 0 in every single grid. And if you wanted to, if you were writing in pencil, you could erase a single cell and change that 1 to a 0 or 0 to a 1. Mm-hmm. You cannot do that with a solid-state drive. We'll get into that in a little bit, but that's an important thing to think about from the start. Well, if you know something about hard drives, the, the magnetic platter hard drives, um, when you when your computer, and that pretty much goes for all modern operating systems, let's say you have uh, a document and you realize that well, you worked on it three years ago, you turned it in, you know, I don't need to save it for anything, so I'm going to delete it. Right. And I'm going to tell my computer to delete it. Well, that, first of all, uh, the computer doesn't delete it, delete it. If right. you just tell it to, you know, throw it in the trash can, empty the trash can or recycle bin or whatever. Yeah, it's actually still there on your hard drive. But it's been marked for deletion. So basically when uh, something else, hey, I've created a new document and the computer goes, uh, where can I save? Ah, this is marked for deletion. I'll write over that old one. Right. Um, that's one thing to note is that it can do that. That's the way that, that computers work with uh, magnetic platter hard drives. Now, it also can uh, do something else. Let's say you have five different documents and you've deleted these five documents. Well, those gaps are different sizes. Yeah. But you're storing a brand new file and it's larger than all five of those. 
it can fill in sections, sort of like um, packets. Yeah. When you send, when you break up an email file into a bunch of packets and they go and they reassemble themselves on the other side on somebody else's computer, these different gaps can uh, be used to store parts of this file, which the computer will then reassemble as you need it. Um, that's when you need to defragment your hard drive. You know, they have uh, uh, sections and they're all scattered out. You got applications and then they're all mm-hmm. in different places, in different sectors, on different platters. Um, and they say, okay, I'm going to reorganize everything. And so the computer basically uses storage, empty storage to uh, reshuffle everything and put it back into sectors where all the parts of the file are together. And that makes uh, a computer run a little bit faster when it's accessing those files because they're all in one place and they don't have to reassemble them. Right. Now – you can't do that with uh, solid-state drives. Yeah. In fact, when it gets down to erasing data off a solid-state drive, it's pretty pretty complex. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit a little, a little bit more about the way information is stored within these cells, yeah, so I, these grids on your grid paper. Yeah. I just thought it would be interesting to compare that to a, a, sure, a platter drive. Entirely, yeah. And it, it, it is important to make the comparisons between the two because there are advantages and disadvantages to both. I agree. That whole erasing thing or overwriting, you can't overwrite in an SSD. You can't erase stuff, but it takes... A lot of effort, actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so in order to uh, make the 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 cell have a value in it, mm-hmm. you have to apply a voltage to that cell. Yes, I I couldn't I couldn't uh, read that article without um, thinking of ACDC, the band <laughs> yeah. with the dirty deeds. Done dirt cheap. High voltage. Yeah. It uses high voltage. Actually, that's important. Yes. Yeah. In fact, they're, uh, well, it uses both high and low voltage depending oh, true, on what true. it's doing. Yeah. Um, Every time he said never. There are two different <laughs> ways of wiring these transistors together. That's what mm-hmm. each of the cells actually represents. Um, there is the NOR approach, which is a little simpler, but less useful, really. It's typical of, uh, flash drives, however. Yeah. These smaller drives. So, uh, think of, think of those, those rows there. And the uh, uh, the columns as having a a a circuit line going through each one. All mm-hmm. right, so there are rows of circuits and columns of circuits, uh, connections really, electronic yeah. connections. I should say, not just circuits, but electronic connections. Uh, so the rows would be word lines, the columns would be bit lines. So you would have this grid of word lines and bit lines. Sort of, it would look kind of like a, a city block, like if you were looking, or a city landscape, if you were looking at it from the air. So you have these these uh, streets that are crisscrossing, mm-hmm. um, and you would kind of uh, tell each cell what its uh, contents were based upon applying voltages across these lines. I'm not going to get too far into this because it really gets kind of complex and also involves. A concept called quantum tunneling, which we have talked about here on Tech Stuff before. That's true. But it makes my brain hurt because it's quantum tunneling is one of those things that is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Tunneling is this concept that, and it's it's a real thing. Otherwise, our electronics wouldn't work. Uh, tunneling is this concept where you have a, a barrier, let's say, and you've got an electron that, <clears throat> pardon me, an electron that's on one side of that barrier. Mm-hmm. With the right kind of energy, that electron can pass from one side of the barrier to the other side of the barrier as if it has tunneled through without actually physically tunneling through. And this all has to do with the potential for the electron to be 
in one position versus another. Uh, there's sort of, you can think of it as a, there's a radius around an electron that represents all the different locations that electron could be in. Uh, if that electron's at the proper energy state and there is a barrier next to the electron, that radius might extend beyond the other side of that barrier. Mm-hmm. That means that there is the potential for that electron to be on the other side of that barrier, which means if there is a potential for it, sometimes the electron is on the other side of that barrier, mm-hmm. as if the barrier weren't there. This drives me insane. <laughs> it's like saying if I'm if I'm running fast enough, there's a chance I'm going to be on the other side of the wall, not on this side of the wall. But every time I try that, I end up with a bloody nose. I'm not quantum enough is what I'm saying. You're so not quantum. Yeah. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. A spirit of adventure lives inside of us. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to transform your spirit of adventure into actual rubber-meets-the-road-into-the-wild, true blue real-life adventure. You just need a Nissan and a plan. Or better yet, just a Nissan. You can hop into a Nissan Rogue and discover what comes next. Don't worry, the Nissan Rogue has your back. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Just climb in and go. No need to connect your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the new 2024 Nissan Rogue. No matter where you roam, you'll stay connected to home. Life is one huge adventure, and every day is a little one. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Yeah. Anyway, so 
that that applies both to the nor and the nand. But the the nor version is the simplest one. You've got the bit lines and the word lines in this sort of crisscross pattern. In the nand one, the bit lines are actually kind of um, daisy chained in a way from one cell down to the next. Uh-huh. And uh, this co- becomes important when you're actually reading from the memory in order to determine what bit is in each cell. Uh, and the way that works is that you apply a weak voltage uh, across these lines to try and determine if a full circuit is being made. And if there, you get two different outcomes depending on if there's a one or a zero, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So if you get one outcome, for example, if the circuit is made, you know that the value is uh, – you know what the value is inside that cell because it can only be that value. And if the circuit is not made, then you know it's the opposite value, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so you're, you're thinking, well, if the charge goes through, it means this. If the charge doesn't go through, it means that. You collect that with all of these cells and that's what builds up data. Remember, each of these cells represents one bit, so a zero or a one, unless that's a – well, I guess I should say that it, that would be an SLC a single level cell, mm-hmm. which can represent either a zero or a one. You could also have a multi-level cell. And in fact, most SSDs are multi-level cells. Now, these can contain uh, two or more bits. Usually it's two bits or three bits, which means that if it's a two-bit system, there are four potential values that you could find within that cell. It would either be zero, 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 one, one, zero, or one, one. Mm-hmm. But with a multi-level cell, uh it's a little more complicated as well because, you know, like I said, you could use the weak voltage to determine whether or not the content of a single layer cell is a zero or a one. With multi-level cell, because there are four potential uh, outcomes, you have to use different voltages. And essentially you work from the weakest and you work your way up. And as soon as that circuit is complete, then you know what the value of that cell is. Did I just – Chris's brains are actually leaking out of his ears right now. <laughs> uh, I just find the whole thing revolting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you'd get a charge out of it. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it all has to do with these voltages. And uh, and that that's all the reading information. Yeah. To write to, a, to it is um, uh, even more complex, actually. Well, one of the things to note, though, is that making these changes uh, – the voltage changes can be dangerous um, using the high voltage yeah. to, to do these changes, which is one of the reasons why it is so difficult to uh, to erase and uh, rewrite on, yeah. on this flash memory that, that's used in SSDs. That's one of the reasons. The other reason is that when you are writing information to a an SSD, mm-hmm. you have to write it in, in pages, so rows. Yes. So mm-hmm. think of think of this grid paper again. You can only write to a single row at a time. Mm-hmm. All right. When you're erasing, you have to erase these in blocks of pages. You can't yeah. erase one row. You can't erase one page. You have to erase a block of pages, which tends to be about oh, 128 rows total, which uh, equals about 512 kilobytes. Uh, there's actually some extra information there too, because there are a few. A uh, few cells that are dedicated to things like error correction mm-hmm. and other information. So there's technically a little more than that, but the data that you're actually writing to the SSD or erasing from the SSD uh, is either in four or eight kilobyte pages 
Again, that depends upon the format of the solid state drive. And uh, when you're erasing, it's 128 pages, so 512 kilobytes. So, or for the four kilobyte pages anyway. So you've got, you, you can write in a page, you erase in a block. Mm-hmm. This is why it's really hard to, you can't, this is why you cannot overwrite information because your file, the, you know, the, this has nothing to do with file size. This is just the individual bits that are found within those cells, right? Mm-hmm. So a block might contain the end of one file and the beginning of another file. So you can't erase an entire block uh, just because you erased one particular file. Because mm-hmm. you, if you did that, then you would lose the beginning of an, of an unrelated file that you did not delete. Right. And, and it treats old files that have been marked for deletion as information that should be saved. Right. Uh, it doesn't make... Uh, there's on every drive there is a controller uh, that provides instruction for the drive, and it doesn't know the difference between the file that I just uh, quote unquote on my computer deleted, and the computer marks for deletion. Oh, it's okay to overwrite this sector of the drive right. um, versus a file that I want to keep. So it treats anything that's written in there as well. I better save this. Yeah, and. Just so that you guys can uh, kind of envision what is going on here. So let's go back to that grid paper yeah. example. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got a, a sheet of grid paper. If this were like a solid state drive, every single one of those cells, if this was a brand new sheet, nothing had been uh, saved to the sheet yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, every single one of those cells would have a one in them. And when you were writing information, what you do is you apply a certain voltage and you would switch that one to a zero. Flip. Switching the one to a zero is not such a big deal. Switching the zero back to one is a huge deal. deal. Yes. And here's, here's why you cannot overwrite specific parts of this, this uh, page. You have to use enough voltage to switch that back to a one that if you were to try and target a single cell, that energy could overflow into neighboring cells. Right. Which would make those flip. And, if you're making all of those flip, that means you've just corrupted the data, right? Because not all those not all of those uh, zeros need to be turned back into ones. Cue sound effect of students going ah. Yeah, so that's so that's why you can't target a specific cell. You have to do it in these blocks. And uh, yeah. the way the way a, a solid state drive actually does this handles this because eventually you will have to have that information erased, or else you'll run out of space. You'll run out of space just. Even every time you save a new version of that document, if it's a document that you're working on, as opposed to like, we'll use that as an example, uh, as a f- type of file you're you're uh, creating. Let's say that you've created a document. Every time you save a new version of it, it's writing that information to more pages on your solid state drive. Mm-hmm. Well, if you never erased, if if it never had the opportunity to erase the information on that drive, you would run out of space eventually. Yes. So the way it tries to handle this is that eventually there's a, there's got to be a connection between the operating system and the solid state drive mm-hmm. that lets the solid state drive know this particular information that is stored within your pages is stale. Mm-hmm. This information does not really um, – this, this isn't pertinent anymore. You can get rid of this. 
what will happen is – It's rubbish. Yeah, it, and there's this is called garbage collection actually. What happens is the solid state drive will take a block that contains the pages that have stale information and will copy that entire block and save it again within the drive. So now you're saying, wait a minute, now you've just uh, – well, technically it'll only copy the stuff that is um, – that is not stale. So you've got a block of, of pages. Some of those pages are stale. Some of the pages aren't stale. The solid state drive will copy the stuff that's not stale and paste it into a new block and a new series of pages. So you've just doubled all the non-stale content that is on your solid state drive. And I hear you screaming, but you said this is to conserve space. How can you conserve space by copying and pasting? Here's how. After that information has been copied and pasted into the new section of the solid state drive, the old block that has both the stale and not stale information in it can be erased. You can apply that high voltage, flip those zeros back to ones, and you can do it safely because you've already duplicated the non-stale data into new pages. The stale data does not get duplicated, so it gets erased, which means that that block is now available to write to again. Mm Mm-hmm. There's another downside here, which is that every single time you're writing to those cells, you're actually breaking down the system a little bit. There's only so many times you can do this, and the cells will remain viable. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the cells will no longer be able to hold a charge because they've been broken down too many times with this voltage being applied to them. Yep. Um SSD vendors have gone to some effort to prevent that from being an issue, at least for a while. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, there will be uh, um, extra space on the drive of which you are unaware. Right. You might have a, say, let's say that you get, a, I don't know, a 60 gigabit, uh, gigabyte rather, um, a hard drive space, yeah. mm-hmm. and there's actually 68 gigabytes in there. You just don't know about those other eight because – uh, they've been included to take into account this issue yeah. so that, one, uh, the, this whole garbage collection process has some space to work in yeah. and you won't end up filling up your hard drive before it can take advantage of that. And two, as cells die and are unusable, it can open up new pages of cells that have not been written to an X number of times. And we're talking thousands of times here. It's not like... You know, it's not like you're going to fill up your hard drive and three days later it's going to be useless. But well, it shouldn't be. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be. But you but know. but yeah, your mileage may vary depending upon manufacturer and model. But the ideally, yeah. uh, it would take thousands and thousands and thousands of times before it would become uh, obsolete, before it would not work anymore. Yeah. And uh, the thing is that most of us use our computers frequently enough where eventually that could happen. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you upgrade on a regular basis, you may never notice this problem. But if you don't, you might notice that your computer takes longer to pull information from the hard drive than it used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you may notice that you are running out of hard drive space when you thought that you should really have more. Yeah. Why is all that gone? And it's because those cells are no longer viable. Well, um, to prevent this, the controller on the SSD is designed to route traffic in a way that will try to put uh, a fairly even 
distribution distribution of usage across the different cells on the drive, uh, thus hopefully ensuring that uh, no set of cells is worn down more than the others. They're trying to put put even wear and tear on it. Um, but the the more full you get now, they're one of the complaints about SSDs is that they seem to grow slower as time goes on. That's because that information uh, those those cells are getting full of uh, information. Those pages are filling up. And uh, because of the way they work um, and they have to write and rewrite blank pages at a time, uh, it can seem to slow down mm-hmm. because there isn't as much space to uh, for them to, the controller to route the information and, re- and, and regroup things into pages, uh, fresh pages that can be written and rewritten or not rewritten, but re- um, erased and written to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know that that's that's sort of a I would say an illusion. It's not really an illusion, but that's why it's not because the drive is uh, uh, crapping out generally. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean the the, the uh, vendors for these devices generally say that they're good for you know tens of thousands of read write cycles. Right. So they they should be good for for years. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean you shouldn't uh, back up your hard drive. However, it does mean that defragging, like we used to do with the magnetic uh, traditional platter drives, is not a good idea. Right. Because you're adding to writing and rewriting uh, those cells. Right, right. You're, you're effectively, you are decreasing the lifespan of your hard drive. Yeah. And the controller uh, really should be doing that anyway with the garbage collection and um, uh, organization of that that work, so it should be less of an issue than it used to be. And the controller really is kind of like a very small, very specialized computer. So in a way, yeah. So in is. a way, you have a computer within your computer because the controller is is taking this information and putting it in the the most uh, the 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 optimized format and layout. So yeah, it's uh it's an interesting approach using this voltage difference instead of magnetism in order to store information. And it's become incredibly useful, especially for things like portable electronics. I mean, it's oh, yeah. really decreased the size of what our electronics can be. Plus, you can go running with it and not worry about crashing the platters on your hard drive. Yeah, this is why back when – I remember when MP3s were – MP3 players were first coming out and there was always the argument of do you get the one with the spinning hard drive or do you get the one with the flash hard drive? And the flash hard drives tended to be more expensive, but they also were the ones that you could go and exercise with – and not worry about them, you know, something skipping around or or, or corrupting a file or crashing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you would you would you like to wrap up or should we mention encryption? We could mention. Well, you can mention encryption because, frankly, my my uh, research did not cover that topic. Um, okay. Well, the uh, um, this is another in the series of articles um, on Ars Technica about SSDs, uh, also written by Lee Hutchinson. Um, and it's kind of fascinating because uh, in, in the process of um, uh, compression, um, they go through a de- deduplication phase. So uh, it's sort of, uh, you know, if they find two copies of the same information, it will ba- essentially get rid of one so that it takes up less space in the hard drive. That's essentially how, how these things are, are done. And it's done in... Um, uh, other types of files too, um, uh, image and sound and, uh, you know, those kinds of things that they find the same information, they can reduce the amount of information in that file. Well, they, they do that with hard drives too, but, um, 
One of the interesting things that, that Hutchinson mentions is now that uh, modern operating systems are allowing you to encrypt your entire hard drive, that actually makes it tougher for SSDs because they can't deduplicate that information anymore. Because once you encrypted a file, it has its own individual signature. Mm. So even if they were the same exact document, um, the computer sees it as two different encrypted documents because the encryption information is slightly different. Right. So it will no longer recognize them as the same information. So they will see them as completely different information. So it's taking bulky, up bulky and safe. Exactly. So it takes up it. The same file will take up twice as much space if it's been duplicated, and it will not be deleted because there's just enough difference there, so that it has essentially fooled the controller into thinking exactly. it's two files, not one that's been duplicated. Two, two, two files and one. No. Um, the other thing, uh, the thing to know is, you know, these these devices are coming down in cost. Um, they're showing up more often in uh, in laptops, oh, yeah, ultrabooks, and and you know. Just a few years ago, I remember that it was really unusual to find a solid state drive yes. in, a, in a computer, and you were p- paying a premium for that if yes. you wanted it. And it was kind of interesting because at the time, the solid state drives, while you were paying a premium, tended to have a smaller capacity than the traditional hard drives did when they mm-hmm. first started coming out. Well, now we've seen that slowly start to change and that's to be expected that's the way technology tends to work in the market we tend to see when it first comes out it tends to be pretty expensive and fairly limited and as it advances and we get better at the production uh, uh, approach these prices start to fall mm-hmm. and then next thing you know it's everywhere yes so um you know it seems like they're they're becoming more common yeah um you know, even even in run of the mill laptops. However, um, you know the cost is still not as as uh, inexpensive as traditional hard drives. Right. Um, and you know, you do have those trade offs to be made versus the the traditional. So if you were getting, say, you really wanted a nice workstation to to use at home, you already have a laptop, um, and you were choosing whether you wanted to spend that extra hundred dollars, two hundred dollars for an SSD. You know, it does. You would get some uh, savings in in uh, a cost if you went with a magnetic drive. Yep. Um, but you would trade off speed for that and the number of read write cycles. Of course, right. magnetic drives have their own idiosyncrasies, and you may or may not lose your your hard drive. Right. Yeah. So, no, it's not not to say that that the older no. hard drives are any better. They just have a different set of pros and cons. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it all depends on what your use case scenario is. And, I mean, like, I have machines at home that of both types. Yeah. So I've got machines that have a spinning hard drive. I've got machines that have solid-state drives. I have an external drive that's a solid-state drive that I use for backups. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways of going about this, and I, I think that both approaches have their own... Uh, advantages and disadvantages that will apply to you based upon the way you use your machines. Mm-hmm. So that's always a good thing to think about. Uh, and it may even be that to you it doesn't really matter other than maybe the fact that you can get a solid state drive with a smaller form factor than you could if it were a physical hard drive, you know, the mechanical hard drive. I should say mechanical, not physical. Oh, that's because they're both physical. <laughs> it's not, a, it's not a virtual hard drive. Um, so yeah, I mean it's you know, it's all up to the way you use your machines and what you what your personal preferences are, and I guess what your budget is as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'll never forget. I I knew that solid state memory 
was going to be a big deal. Uh, this flash-based memory sticks, not solid-state drives, slightly different. But uh, I knew it was going to be a big deal when we went to – I guess it was when I went to CES. It was the year after the two of us went because the year that Chris and I both went to CES, we picked up lots and lots of press kits that were either paper press kits or CD, mm-hmm. comic disc-based. And then the next year, I started seeing – companies produce their press kits on USB thumb drives. And that's when I was I thought, well, okay, this is a big enough deal because now it's cheap enough where these companies can produce thousands of these things for an exhibition because you got lots and lots of people at CES. So you have to produce tons and tons of these, not literally tons and tons, but lots and lots of these thumb drives. Uh, in order to give them out to all the people who stop by. Of course, nowadays, they don't even do that anymore. Yeah. Now you get a card that has a URL and you go to a website that has the press release, which is even better, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although it does mean that I don't end up with lots of thumb drives that I can use <laughs> once I erase the data <laughs> that's on there. You mean you haven't moved everything into the cloud now? Well, I'm working on it, but, you know, there... Here's the other thing about the cloud. I mean, that's a totally different discussion. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this. I was about to go off on a cloud rant about how all my information is in different pockets in the cloud. That's my problem now. So let's let's that's a totally different podcast, which I'm sure we'll do. And we've talked about cloud storage in the past anyway. So we're gonna wrap this up, guys. Uh, I do recommend you go to Ars Technica and look at those articles if you are interested in solid state drives and what makes them work. We also have the flash based memory article on how stuff works that has uh, illustrations and animations in it to help explain the process. Uh, there are a lot of great resources on the web to really explain this stuff in further detail. So if you're interested, I highly recommend you seek them out because it's a fascinating subject and I wish we could go into even more detail. But uh, one, an audio format podcast makes it difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. And two, frankly, my understanding of the subject matter is only so deep. Right. I mean, I, I, there, there comes a point where I've hit my threshold and I'm thinking, all right, I kind of get this, but I need more time to really digest it. So uh, fortunately, I'm sure you guys have nothing but time on your hands. I mean, you're listening to us, right? So go out there and check it out. And uh, if you want to send us any suggestions for topics or you have a question or you just want to say howdy, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at discovery.com or send us a message on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle at both those locations is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. 
If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. 